Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. I'm so glad you could make it, despite everything going on in the world today. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. Today, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of how your parents teach you that your feelings don't matter, which is, of course, the very foundation of borderline personality disorder. It all comes from that single, simple belief. But before we get into our conversation on that, let me tell you that this morning, I woke up to sunshine. Sunshine, by golly, what a rare treat lately. In fact, as I'm recording this, the sun's still shining brightly and the birds are chirping. It's been gray, gray, gray where I am, which just seems to enhance the gloom of all that we're hearing in the news. And all you folks who are living here through the present with me know exactly what I'm talking about. But future listeners may need some context. So let me come right out and say it for them. Coronavirus. Yes, all of us here in the present are currently dealing with the reality of coronavirus. By now, all of you future listeners are out there sipping martinis without a care in the world. And you all know how everything eventually plays out. And you're all back to mostly normal lives, walking around in your robes and smoking cigars. But we here in the present can't see with any certainty what's around the corner. It's a bit stressful for many of us. So, you listeners from the future, no laughing. No laughing at us or teasing us. Well, speaking again with my friends here in the present, are you folks using this experience as an opportunity to learn and make some adjustments? Boy, I am. A year or so ago, I believe I talked to you a bit about emergency preparedness. I think in one of the episodes of this audio show, I spoke a bit about my preparedness, the things that I do just for times like this. Now, a lot of people use the term prepper to describe those who stock up on items. I don't like the term prepper to describe myself because that term seems to paint the picture of somebody who's a bit fanatical or paranoid, or a doomsdayer, and that's just not me. Most of you who have any experience with me at all know that I rarely throw myself into adopting other people's terminology whole-souled <laughs> without considering the more subtle implications of that terminology and questioning whether or not it's truly fitting. And I regularly, regularly 
view established terms with this sort of skepticism, no matter who originated the term. But a lot of people use the term prepper for anybody who makes a reasonable effort to be prepared for unforeseen circumstances. So, by a lot of people's standards, I would be considered a prepper. For years now, I've tried to make sure I'm stocked up on plenty of non-perishable foods or foods with long shelf life. Also, water. I maintain a supply of bottled water that's enough to get me and others through an emergency. I keep an emergency pack that I can just grab and go that contains supplies and items for shelter, water, cooking, water treatment, fire, that sort of thing. Now, my question was, are you using the current situation that we're all in as a learning opportunity and considering what sorts of adjustments you might make moving forward? All of my preparedness for unforeseen circumstances has traditionally revolved around these things. Shelter, food, water, fire. Never did I factor in the possibility of pandemics. So I, for one, have resolved, once the dust has cleared on this pandemic, I'm not going to go out and try to get any of these things right now. You know, I'm not going to fight people at Walmart for it, but I'll do it later once things have calmed down. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to get and maintain a small supply of N95 masks, disposable gloves, and a few other items for a just-in-case scenario. And you know, to be honest, even in the heart of this current pandemic, these aren't things that I really feel that I absolutely need, but it would just be nice to know that I had them in stock if the need for them came up. And uh, I'm not just thinking about myself. You know, it'd be nice to be able to hand out a few of these things to some of my older friends and relatives. Now, the thing about these masks and disposable gloves and that sort of thing is that you have to rotate those things out every once in a while. You know, even canned food. Uh, I mean, it'll it'll last on a shelf for a long time, but ever so often you got to rotate those things out. The people who are the best at this have a system in place where they... You know, they don't go out and spend two, two, three thousand dollars on canned food. They kind of accumulate it over time, but they're also using it over time. And they continue buying new canned food. So everything gets rotated. That way, hopefully, you don't have anything on the shelf that's more than a few years old. So, you know, it's going to be the same way with these masks. I'm sure they they probably don't have an indefinite shelf life. But that that's one observation I've made for myself and the adjustment I think I'll make moving forward. What else? Um, uh, yes, my gym membership, which I'm still paying for and is completely unusable right now. And man, that pains me to say, because let me tell you, I didn't tell you all this here at, on the podcast. I didn't tell anybody on my group, but for the two months leading up to this pandemic, I was hitting the gym three times a week religiously and I had uh, made all these gains because I use free weights. That's really the only thing I'm interested in. And uh, I had made all these great gains. Well, then I had a move. You know, I moved from where I used to live to a new place. Pandemic hit. Both of these things have contributed to me falling off the wagon. But the point is, is that my, my gym membership now is completely unusable, at least until May, which really, really puts a hair in my biscuit. 
So that's one thing that might get eliminated after all this is over, my gym membership. I think I'll probably be investing in a bench press for the old basement after this, at the very least. You know, the reason I like my gym membership is because I like getting out of the house and working out around other people, which is something I never thought I'd ever hear myself say. Every time I go to the gym and there are lots of people there, I complain about it. (laughs) But thinking about it now, as annoying as it is to have to wait for a bench or whatever around a bunch of sweaty people, it is motivating to be around other people who are also doing their workouts. But the best part about my gym membership, believe it or not, is access to a bathroom and shower 24 hours a day, practically anywhere I go. Think about it. I come out of the woods from a six-day backpacking trip. I reek of campfire smoke and leaves. All I got to do is look up the nearest location for my gym, even if I'm out of state. And uh, I have a private shower there waiting for me. So anyway, I'm curious about what you all are doing. If you're keeping your gym memberships, if you've learned anything from this coronavirus situation that's going to cause you to make adjustments, you know, if you're in my Facebook education group, I'd love to hear about that. Or you could just write to me at uh, everything you need is there at thelastsymptom.com. Now, we're just about get to get into today's topic. So now is probably a good time for me to mention thelastsymptom.com. That's my website full of growing free resources. While you're over there, taking advantage of those free resources, consider leaving me a donation to support my ongoing overall body of work. And I thank you very much for that. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one conversation with me, doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can schedule that also right from thelastsymptom.com. So the subject that I wanted to hit you all up with today was the specifics of how your parents teach you that your feelings don't matter. To get us started, let me ask you a question. What repeated message do these following statements have in common? Don't cry. Don't be sad. That's nothing to get angry about. I'll give you something to cry about. Go to your room until you've got your emotions under control. Stop it. That's nothing to be scared of. Oh, you're angry? Come here, I'll give you a reason to be angry. I'm not going to tolerate any more of your whining. What repeated message do all of these statements that I just made have in common? Think about it. What is the underlying message to all of these things I just said. Let's let's go through them again. Don't cry. Don't be sad. That's nothing to get angry about. I'll give you something to cry about. Go to your room until you've got your emotions under control. Stop it. That's nothing to be scared of. Oh, you're angry? Come here, I'll give you a reason to be angry. I'm not going to tolerate any more of your whining. The repeated message in all of these statements, which are very common, is you're feeling the wrong thing 
and it's bothering me. Did you catch that? You're feeling the wrong thing, and it's bothering me. Now, until now, you might have thought that these sayings were harmless. Maybe you still think they're harmless. But they are not harmless. They reflect the true, unhealthy, underlying attitude, attitude, that the person speaking has, knowingly or unknowingly, toward feelings in general. The attitude is this, that feelings themselves can be good or bad, right or wrong, and that external things are what determine this. And this is false. What do I mean when I say that the unhealthy person's underlying attitude is that external things determine whether feelings are good or bad, right or wrong? What I mean is that if another person's feelings don't make sense to them, then the feelings are the wrong feelings. In other words, if it doesn't make sense to them to be sad or angry or happy or afraid in these particular circumstances, then you're feeling what you should not be feeling, and you should feel something different. In reality, is there such a thing as a feeling being good or a feeling being bad? Is there such a thing as a feeling being right or wrong? Is there such a thing as changing what you feel to feeling something different? No. No, no. The answer to all of these questions is no. Perhaps the most important pillar that the last symptom work is built upon is this. Feelings are never good or bad, right or wrong. Now, you've probably heard me say that before, and for many of you, you've never stopped to think about the broader implications of what that means. So we're going to do that today. Look at the grass. You know, go to your window, look at the grass. What color is it? Is it good that grass is green? Is it bad that grass is green? Can we say that there's anything right or wrong about grass being green? The reality is that there's nothing good or bad, right or wrong, about it at all. Grass just is green. Grass being green is not subject to matters of judgment. So whoever wants to disagree or disapprove of grass being green is wasting their time, ain't they? And they're living in conflict with reality. Grass just is green, no matter who likes it or does not like it, and there's nothing good or bad, right or wrong, about the fact that it is green. It just is green. Grass being green is not subject to judgment or affected in any way by anybody's agreement or disagreement. 
thoughts and actions can be classified as good or bad, right or wrong. But what you feel cannot be classified this way. Just as the nature of thoughts is completely distinct from the nature of our actions, so too are feelings in a completely distinct category, not subject to the same rules and principles as thoughts and actions. The primary reason for this is that feeling is something we experience. It's not something we do. Nobody can reasonably be held accountable for matters they have absolutely no choice in. And whatever you feel about something is just what you feel. It's not something you've chosen to feel. It's just what you feel. People cannot reasonably be held accountable for matters we have no choice in. Now, I use the grass illustration because that illustration is what was responsible for me experiencing my own profound epiphany on this particular topic in my own recovery. So that's why I use it here. But if grass being green doesn't do it for you, <laughs> let's try another one. Go outside. Take off your jacket. If it's cold where you are, ask yourself, can I be accused of feeling the incorrect thing out here? What if somebody else thinks I should feel warm out here instead of cold? Does what they think have any effect whatsoever on what I simply do feel? Could I, with my willpower alone, will myself to feel something other than cold, even if I wanted to? Or is it really not up to me? Is, is me feeling cold not just feedback about my environment, about my needs? Well, your emotions are no different. Is me feeling cold a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Can I say that what I feel, that I'm feeling cold, is right or wrong? Is me feeling cold something I'm doing? Or is it something I'm experiencing? So are you imagining yourself out at the North Pole, standing outside at night with your jacket off? Whatever you feel is simply what you feel. There's nothing good or bad, right or wrong about it. Notions of good or bad, right or wrong, do not apply in any way whatsoever in this situation. It's a serious problem that our parents apparently did not understand this. In what ways that you can think of are your parents still revealing their inappropriate view of the nature of feelings? Perhaps they take how other people feel personally and they get defensive or angry at what other people are simply feeling. Now, I gave you the unhealthy statements there at the beginning of this conversation and explained why they're unhealthy because of the underlying message that they communicate to children. This is the way healthy parents react to their children's emotions instead. To crying. Oh, honey, what's wrong? To sadness. You're right, that is sad. You know, that would make me sad too. To crying. 
You know, it's normal to cry when you're frustrated or sad. I used to cry when I was frustrated or sad, too. Instead of, go to your room. Sit down here with me and tell me what's bothering you. I want to know. To fear. You know, that probably would have scared me, too, when I was your age. To anger. Listen, son or daughter, there's nothing wrong with getting mad. Things make me mad all the time. The healthy way I've learned to express it is this way. And you go on to explain to the child the way you've learned to express your anger in a healthy way. To whining. Boy, you must be having a rough day. I sure know what that's like. Healthy parents view their children as individuals that they are genuinely curious about and who they genuinely take pleasure in getting to know. Not as inanimate property that's only theirs accessories to enhance their own lives so that the children must feel in predetermined ways. When we truly perceive other people as individuals, we allow for the reality that they have their own feelings and that those feelings might be anything and that those feelings will probably be different from what we feel. And we have no problem with this. Maybe some of you remember the story of me being upstairs with my daughter late one night and uh, I was gathering some things up and I told her she had to pee and the bathroom was downstairs. I said, well, you you head on downstairs, and I'm going to gather some things up here. I'll be right down. So she started down, and then she'd come back up. And I said, what's wrong? I told you I was going to meet you down there. And uh, so my four-year-old daughter, I think she was three at the time, she said, "Uh, well, I'm scared. And I said, oh. And I looked over at the stairs, and I realized it was all dark downstairs. and, And I said, sure. Sure you are. That would have that would scared me too when I was your age. Well, she was astonished. You would have been scared too? I said, Well, sure, when I was your age. Definitely. That's that's scary when you're three or four. She just marveled at that. I'll give you another um, example here not too long ago. My daughter, Eloise, did not inherit much from me, her mom's Honduran. She looks on Duran. Spanish is her primary language. But what she did inherit from me is being a grouch when she wakes up. <laughs> her hair even does the same types of stuff that my hair does when I wake up. Well, one morning when she was with me, she woke up early, irrationally crying nonstop, while I was desperate for more sleep. And finally, my patience wore thin, and I barked at her with a deep, angry voice to be quiet to no avail. I was now up for the day. Well, as I moved about the house, I was grumpy. I was grouchy. And uh, I was making my coffee, and she'd come up to me, and she said, I see that you're angry. (laughs) She was four when this happened. Think about the natural, calm assertiveness she demonstrated here by addressing my anger directly. She didn't pretend it wasn't there. She didn't tiptoe around it. She just very calmly said, I see that you're angry. I said, yes, I am angry. Do you know why? 
She said, yes, it's because I was crying this morning. I said, no, no, not because you were crying. I'm angry because you woke me up. You are allowed to cry, and you're allowed to feel grouchy, and you're allowed to be sad. But it was that you woke me up. I would have liked to have gotten a little bit more sleep, and then once I got up, we could have talked about it. You see what I did there? I distinguished her feelings from her behavior and her choices. It wasn't her feelings that made me angry, and I wanted to make that clear to her. It was her behavior. Other than through the things they say, how else do our parents communicate what their true attitudes are about feelings? How about facial expressions? Body language? Their reactions? Their silence? Their brooding? Their anger? Their scoffing or their laughing they're making fun of? their lack of communication about what they're feeling and why. The message that these unhealthy parents give off through their attitudes is that feelings are a bother. Feelings are irrelevant. They don't matter. When you express your genuine feelings, they scoff, they laugh, they act annoyed, they get angry, they dismiss them. Your feelings do not in any way positively affect their manner of dealing with you. They only negatively affect their manner of dealing with you. Therefore, your feelings do not contain any inherent worth. If your feelings don't make sense to them, then the feelings are irrelevant or wrong. From their point of view, In order for your feelings to matter, something external has to provide that worth. In other words, your feelings only matter if they make sense to somebody else. Somebody else has to agree that what you feel is the right feeling. Since you're a child who's still learning about the nature of what it is, what it means to be a person and feel things. And since you depend on these emotional teachers to understand the nature of all these different aspects of living and of life, the message you get from directly observing their attitudes is that your feelings are irrelevant. They don't matter. Whatever you feel is naturally shameful. It's always the wrong thing. This is your feelings Natural inherent state is the message you take away from that. If your feelings are inherently irrelevant, shameful, devoid of inherent worth, it isn't long before you come to the conclusion that you yourself are also inherently irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth. After all, your feelings are you. They're what make you, you. What other aspects of our relationship with our parents also communicate that they view our feelings as unimportant? How about this? One or both of them abandon us. So think about children who were adopted or raised by grandparents. Um, How about this? The parents are never around. 
They let us do whatever we want without much interest or concern. They never have any patience to let us express ourselves. Divorce. Divorce. And think about it. If my feelings truly mattered, why would they do this? They take no interest in the things we like and enjoy. They demonstrate no natural desire to show us affection. As you can see, it's a great, a great mistake to focus on simply things our parents said or single, individual, quote-unquote traumatic experiences or memories as being the true cause of harm. Because these things by themselves do not adequately reflect the true extent of how frequently and how thoroughly we were receiving these erroneous messages and being educated by them. Only when we recognize that it is attitudes, attitudes which are truly at the root of it all, do we begin to understand how this explains everything, not just some things, we begin to understand how these messages were a constant, regularly flowing aspect of our environment, rather than simply being occasional in nature. Understanding this clearly now helps us to understand how we ourselves might also be communicating the same destructive messages to those we care about through our own improper attitudes. And knowing this allows us to work to repair the underlying causes for them at their foundation so we can begin becoming a healthy person and begin communicating. I say that with quotes because when I talk about communicating the things we're communicating, I'm not only talking about things that we communicate verbally. I'm talking about everything in our behavior, in our attitudes. So what are we communicating? And now we can begin communicating as the healthy type of person that we ourselves can be at peace with and that those we care about deserve. Folks, that's the program for today. That is an episode that I hope many people will listen to over and over again until they get it. Trauma does not cause borderline personality disorder. Traumatic events do do not cause borderline personality disorder. And as long as you are being led astray by that stupid, repeated oversimplification of things, you are never going to get this out of your system. In order to get this out of your system, You have to understand the true nature of what it is that happened to you, what you're living with, what you're doing to other people, and eliminate that. And in order for you to do that, you have to recognize that attitudes, not trauma, are at the root of how you acquired borderline personality disorder, how it has affected you all this time. And the key to eliminating it out of your life once and for all. So again, I hope you will listen to this this episode of The Last Symptom a thousand times. And I hope you'll share it with all your friends 
who may be struggling with the same sorts of things. Let me mention one last time, thelastsymptom.com. Um, I've updated the dates there for the California class to the end of August to let us have time to get through this uh, coronavirus stuff. And so we can all focus on that without uh, fear and worry distracting us. But you don't have to wait until August to reserve your seat. You can do that now over at thelastsymptom.com. While you're there, think about giving me a donation to support my work. And uh, that's much, much appreciated. I'm going to keep trying to do everything I can do during these difficult times. But I realize that people are uh, also worried about their finances and You know, there may be some struggles there. And so, you know, I completely understand that as well. You all stay safe out there. It's been a pleasure having your company tonight. And I hope I get to do the same thing next Thursday. Same place, same time. Until then, this is Brian Barnett signing off.